This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we're discussing a little bit of the end of days and, uh, and, and the basic message that I'm giving is that, is that you need to have a plan how you're moving to Israel. And, um, and to not have that plan would be the same as not wearing a seatbelt in a car or not having health insurance or life insurance or not using smoke detectors. I Meaning it's just simply irresponsible. And it's irresponsible for several reasons. One, historically, is that we've been spat out of every host country we've ever been in. And, and so whatever countries Jews are today that are not Israel, you know, it's just a matter of time. And, and, and two is... Um, Jewishly, we all believe in the prophets, and the prophets, even if you're Jewish, you're probably, at, in one level or another, aligning your life with the prophecies of Israel. You know, I keep Shabbat, that's a prophet. The prophets say, you know, don't do these 39 things every Shabbat. So that's prophecy. I wear tzitzis because of prophecy. My life's aligned with the prophecies. That's why we're doing what we're doing is because we believe in those prophecies. But those same prophecies also say that um, thank you so much, that there's going to be a a messianic era where the Jewish people will come back to the land of Israel. There will be an ingathering of the exiles of the Jewish people. And and there will also be um, there could be massive wars. There probably will be massive Armageddon battles. That's called the Armageddon. Yeah. And what did Bob, what did Bob Marley say about Armageddon? <laughs> what song is that? One love. Let's get together and feel. Hard. Let's get it together now and fight this holy Armageddon. One love. Because when Mashiach comes, there will be no more tears, one heart. And here's like Bob Marley's warning. Have pity on those whose chances grow thinner. There ain't no hiding place from the Father of creation. And a lot of people think they can hide. But you can't hide. I mean, God's orchestrating everything in your life. You think you're going to hide so it says in the prophet Zechariah and uh, by the way we read this during Sukkot holiday because Sukkot holiday is where you show your trust I mean you just got through with Yom Kippur you're at the height of your faith in God but what's applied faith? trust applied faith is trust meaning when you marry you now have trust yeah, sorry. You, when you're married, you now have faith in each other. And how do you show that through trust? By trusting you, you've now applied your faith. And so too with God, you have faith in God. How you apply that is trust. And the in the end of days, though, it's going to be. I'll read from Zaharia, but it, it's going to be a pretty scary time. And and you may not have your trust there for you in the panic of it all. When you panic, you panic. Like, you, you just freeze. And I've had it happen to me. I, the, the first time I was held up at gunpoint, 
I, I panicked. I didn't say Shema, nothing. You know, I just panicked. I froze. And I, I have to tell you, I was pretty embarrassed about it afterwards. Thank God I lived. I mean, it was a good thing I lived. And I was the first one who lived from these particular gangsters in a month. Every single night, they mugged and killed their victim. Every single night that month. I was the first one who wasn't. Because when I was in execution position on my, on my knees and face on the ground with a gun at the back of my head, which is how they killed the other people for the last 29 days straight, the, uh, it was in an alley late at night, a dark alley. A car drove by right behind and saw them, saw the three guys. By the way, there were two other students of mine with guns in their head. They were talking to me outside the class I had just given. And uh, it was in Los Angeles. And, and, but a car drove by and saw the whole scene. So the guys realized they're in trouble, so they just ran. They just in a panic and ran. And we were the first people not killed by them. And uh, anyway, but it was very embarrassing. I really froze. And by the way, the term to have something scared out of you is, is true. I didn't know that was... I thought it was just something you say. Mm-hmm. But it's actually real, which is really not a, not a nice thing to know about firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that's how bad freezing can get. Um, anyway, the the... But it was very interesting is the second time I was held up at gunpoint, the, I, I took the guy down. I, took the, I pointed his gun away from the people, and I took him down and held him until everyone came and took over. <laughs> very different response, the second. Very different response. I should have frozen like the first time. But I, I guess I needed one practice run. <laughs> for the second time where was the second one? I don't want to reveal too many details about the first nor the second um, and nor the location of the second specifically but I don't, I don't talk too much you have, you, people almost have never heard these stories before and I, I don't share this very often and oh but with one more interesting thing about that first story is my PTSD after that was really bad so I was running red lights because, you know, I'd stop at the red light, but the second another car pulled up next to me, I was sure he was going to kill me. That's how bad PTSD can be. And so I would just look both ways and go through the red light. That was the normal thing. If a cop had stopped me, I would just tell him, like, the guy next to me was going to kill me. And <laughs> that's why I ran the red light. You saw I stopped to check. I stopped and checked. My, the killer pulled up next to me, and I, and I moved on. So, yeah, how I got over it was really fascinating was was when I understood... It was the weirdest thing, but when I understood why I had to get held up at gunpoint, which was only a few days later, when I realized why I had to get held up at gunpoint, like why this whole thing was from God, and like there, there was no coincidences, and this, this crime had my name initialed into it. I, it was engraved with me being at that time... For that, for that altercation, when I realized what the story was really all about, you want to know what the story was? <laughs> it's a really strange story, but I, I was in Sfat, and six months earlier I was in Sfat, and I was listening to a great Kabbalist, Rav, Rav Lizer Kenig, 
zatzal, was giving a class in third meal, and it was about two types of dirt, the dirt of the land of Israel and the dirt of outside the land of Israel. And he was talking about humility, because when we pray, we say, may, my, may, may I be like the, the dust of the earth before all others. Yeah, I should be, people should see me as the dust of the earth, meaning no ego. But the rabbi was teaching this teaching, which I didn't understand at the time. And he was teaching this teaching that, that the dust of the outside of Israel is impure dust, whereas the dust in the land of I mean, the earth of the land of Israel is holy dust. It's the holy dirt. And what does it mean? What's the difference in humility? So he said that non-holy dirt is to think you're nothing which to Jewish people is like spitting in God's face because he's who made you amazing. How you're so amazing is from God. And for you to see yourself as nothing is spitting in God's face. And that's the impure dirt of, of outside of Israel. That's the false humility that the Gentiles believe in. And whereas the Jewish is the holy dirt of Israel, the holy soil of our country. And... Um, and that is, that is, that you're awesome and God's, God is why. You're awesome and God is why you're awesome. And you have to live that way. And then you get the miracles. Like the miracles of God only hit the person who realizes they're awesome. You know why? <laughs> because, see, once you realize you're awesome, like let's take this guy in the back. What's your name? David. Let's say David, finally it gets into his bones and his thick head and his stone heart that he's that he's I don't know if he's got a thick head or but let's just say David it finally penetrates David how awesome you are well then what's going to happen you're stuck now because now you got to go do awesome things but the problem is the world's not set up for the awesome David that who's going to do all the things that an awesome person does well but what are you going to do so you're not going to do the awesome things because the world's not set up for that the answer is no. You're going to go do those awesome things and you're going to watch what's called LSD, which stands for Large Siata Dishmaya. You're, you're going to get divine providence come in your way in a big way, large helpings of divine providence. And, and then you'll be living in, in a relationship with God, which is called the world of wonder, wonder world, which is called Olam Apele. But all of us people who don't realize how awesome we are, and therefore we live in another world called Olamateva, the world of nature. But God expects all of us to live in the world of wonder, in the wonder world. He expects it from us. That's why whenever you say Modim Anachnulach and you mention the wonders that happen, behold, Ace Erev Volchevitzorayim, it's all day, all night, all in the evening, like it's 24 7 wonders. Well, the only way you experience 24-7 wonders is if you're always pushing the envelope with how awesome you are. If you keep pushing the envelope by doing the things that awesome people do, well, God has to pull out the wonders. And that's why we say every single day we give thanks for the wonders. But you know what? It's a bit of a, that prayer is in vain. You're using that prayer in vain if you're not getting those wonders because you're just not pushing. You're not pushing through things with your, how awesome you are. Anyway, so, that was the rabbi's class, was the two types of dirt. The dirt of outside of Israel, which is the false humility of being nothing, which again is spitting in God's face. And then the, the, the dirt of the Holy Land, 
And our, our, by the way, our dirt is so holy. So holy. You know, after I mountain bike and I'm covered in dirt, I'm always reluctant to wash my clothes because of that dirt. I remember once this rabbi was, te- was te- Rabbi uh, Moshe Weinberger, the Ash Kodesh from uh, the five towns from uh, Woodmere, New York. He was visiting here and I walked into his third meal. I walked like a half hour to where he's doing a third meal. And he shares this amazing Torah that from the words of Yehuda speaking to Joseph, he says to him, Ki ech How can I go up to my father, meaning Jacob, when the child isn't with me, because Joseph, who was the prince of Egypt, they didn't recognize him, he had incarcerated the youngest boy, Benjamin. And Yehuda took responsibility to return Benjamin back to Jacob. And his final plea with Joseph was, How can I go up to my father? Make a chair, please, for this lady. How can I go up to my father when the child isn't with me? And what did Rabbi Weinberger say? He says, how can I go up to my father? That's God. And who's the child? That's your beautiful child, the awesome you, that amazing two-year-old. It's that toddler full of power and, and energy and courage and, and self-expression and love and, you know, and, and, and health and all the greatness that you are was embodied by you when you were two years old. And so he was, he was, bringing, he was bringing out this lesson that we all have to retrieve that child inside of us. But there was no dry eye in the room. It was in the dark. It was like dimly lit. And I was just crying over my child that I had left behind. And everyone in the room was basically crying while he shared his Torahs. When he finished sharing this Torah, I saw there was a little kid laying on his chair. But he was laying on his father's lap, but with his feet on the chair. And it was winter, and there was mud on his shoes. And I was looking at the mud on his shoes and it made me cry even more. How holy the mud is. That's, that's the mud of Israel. That's a kid playing on the land of Israel on the soil that's now caught between the, the crannies of his, of his the sole of his shoe. And that, that land is so holy. It's so special. Like I, I wanted, I want to like scrape a little off and and like put it in a put it in a a little uh, you know empty out a vitamin capsule and, and take it every morning. Yeah. So why I was held up at gunpoint is at thir- after third meal, I made this big prayer for like a half hour straight. I was praying to God during the Mariv prayer in Svat after this teaching, which I didn't understand that, God, please show me the difference between show me the difference between the holy soil and the soil outside the land of Israel. The false humility. Show me the difference. Like, please, I, by the way, don't try this at home. Don't ask God for first-hand lessons because you may get one. And... Uh, and, but that's what I did. I was young and dumb. I was, it was so many years ago. It was like the stupidest thing I ever did. But anyway, I made this big heartfelt prayer with tears and like, God, show me, show me the difference between the false humility and the land, the soil outside of Israel and the soil in Israel of proper humility. 
And uh, yeah, so I was a young married, learning in Kolel and you know, learning yeshiva. And and I, we went out to visit my wife's parents and my parents. We we're just a young couple, a couple. I think we had two kids at the time. And when we visited my parents, Asia Tori L.A. asked if I could te- teach a class. I never taught classes yet, you know, besides what Aish makes you do when you're a student here. But, yeah, I never like So I figured it was like probably a couple donors learn once a week. So I was going to sit with a couple men and teach or whatever. So I get to the class, and who do I see? 200. I see 200 kids between the ages of 20 and 30, totally secular, in a full social scene. And it was actually called 20-something. And that's what they were asking me to teach. I didn't prepare nothing. I thought I was going to sit with a couple guys in a room and open up a, t- you know, a chumash. I was, like, I was like a deer in headlights. So I told them, don't even introduce me. I ran out to my car. I grabbed a guitar. So I'll hide behind this guitar. And I played a really slow Devekas niggin. And it was silent. And then I played a fast, fun niggin song. Nigun means a melody. I would, but I ain't got no guitar. (laughs) Anyway, so, and then I taught for the next hour and a half an amazing class, which I'm not going to go into that, but it was an amazing class. And it, it really was so, the feedback was so intense that they asked me to take the whole group skiing the following weekend. Which we did, and Big Bear, yeah, and the and the girls all came back with their hair covered, and my wife was pleading with them like, "You don't have to cover your hair, like you're single, like married, <laughs> married, married women cover their hair." They all came back to LA, their hair covered. All the men decided they're keeping Shabbat now, and like they never had anything like this happen there, in the history of HLA. So next thing I know, it's Sunday morning. We're back in LA, and. I get a call, can I come in Monday morning to speak to the staff of Ashatar? So I go into that meeting and they're like, they're like, they're like um, three bedroom home, two cars, like, you know, however many thousands of dollars a month salary, you're in charge of these people. Like, we're giving you a job. And I was like, I'm coming from, I'm living in two rooms in Jerusalem where like, one room has enough room for a table, and the other room has enough room for our bed, an accordion partition, and another bed where two kids sleep in the same bed. <laughs> and and in Jerusalem, there's like a we're having like an epidemic of rabbis, so like I make no difference in Jerusalem. Like I, I there's no point in me being here as a rabbi. I still wasn't even a rabbi, and so all of a sudden I went from like. From like nobody to like the king of LA, and I totally got caught up in that. I got caught up in which kind of dirt? The dirt, unholy dirt, pretending to be this humble servant of God, but really, you know, relishing in my my new position as king of Los Angeles. So of course I took the job, and. And like, you know, we were just like, the the following day, sorry, a couple days of negotiations, because like, we're not Mormons who just go out and like, convert everybody 
for free. Like we we actually negotiate contracts to you know Jewish unless you're Chabad. You know, Chabad are like the the only outreach rabbis in the world who who rough it. You know, Asia tour rabbis need need to have a nice uh, plush job. So it's the problem is when you when you when you uh, the the majority of people who got traction with Asia Torah way back when were from pretty affluent families, and so when they finally when the guy finally becomes a rabbi, he's like a spoiled little brat, you know, and needs this big contract and stuff. And anyway, so so <laughs> so we finished negotiating Tuesday, Wednesday. I uh, Wednesday I sign. That night was the twenty something. That night I was in the alley talking to two boys who needed gunpoint. They needed gunpoint badly. They'd both, one had learned in Asia Torah for about half a year, the other had learned in Or Sameach. They were both in deep trouble in their lives. Like they both had, clearly because they left this place when they weren't supposed to, God is just not showing them favor. They were getting thrashed badly. And that's why they wanted to talk to me after class was to say like, like, I need to get back to... I was basically saying to them, you need to go back to Ismael, you need to go back to Asia Torah, or you're going to die here. You know, I was basically telling them, like, you can't be here anymore. At which point I saw three big hoodlums coming down the alley in the dark. And I was like, I'm holding the cash box from that <laughs> night. 200 people paying, like, 10 bucks each. You know, it's like two grand. So I was thinking, with these guys walking down the alley, maybe I had to go put that cash box around. So I go around one of the one of these students' cars to put the cash box in the next door office across the alley. But I was already flanked by one of the hoodlums who just put a gun right in my stomach. The other two were already at gunpoint. He puts me back over there, takes all our stuff, clears out his car, cash box is gone. It's gone. And uh, and next thing we know, we're in execution position with all three of those guns in our heads. Right when they put those guns on our heads, a car drives by. And here I am with this terrible PTSD. Oh, oh, I should tell the rest of the story. I went back home that night to my wife. We just have this new position, you know. We're signing tomorrow. And I, I changed my underwear before I woke her up. And, <laughs> and I woke her up and told her what happened to me. And she's like, call the Rebbe. And I'm like, why? And she's like, call the Rebbe. So I call, I call the Yerushalayim to the Pince Carlina Rebbe Zatzal. It's old, great Hasidic master, and and he's on the phone with me. I tell him I was held up at gunpoint, and the Re- the Rebbe says, the Rebbe says, be more careful out there. And my wife heard. I'm like, my wife only hears me, so I'm like, I'll be more careful, Rebbe. She grabs the phone, crying into the phone. Rebbe, we're not ready to be out here. He's not even ready. To, he's not a rabbi yet, even like, like. Please give us a blessing. We can come home. Please, please. And she's cr- L.A. She's crying into the phone, and he says, "Give your husband back the phone." I get back on the phone, and the Rebbe's like, "Yom Tov, you're coming home." <laughs> I woke up the next morning. I get a phone call from H. They're like apologizing for what happened, and that's very rare, and something like that usually would never have happened. And you know, what time can I meet? And I'm like. I'm going home. <laughs> anyway, um, 
So after all that PTSD here in LA till we left, because we were there another week, and I'm running red lights and I'm like thinking everyone's out to kill me. And I, I finally, I was in Jerusalem. It was almost Rosh Hashanah. And everyone's talking about the Melech, 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 and that's Rosh Hashanah. Everyone's talking about the king. God's the king. The king, the king, the king. Melech, Melech, Melech. And I was not very excited about Rosh Hashanah because I was the Melech. And I just had my crown removed. And I was brought back to Jerusalem where they have an epidemic of rabbis and nobody needs Rabbi Yom Tov. And, and I was really, uh, I was crushed. And I just could, I was dreading Rosh Hashanah. Because to call God king when, you're th- when you think you're the king is really, really two painful days, Rosh Hashanah. And from some divine stroke of God's will, my Rosh Kolar of Shlomo Ashkenazi of the Boston Kolo in, in uh, Harnov, I'm, we're all leaving. We're leaving. It's the end of the day. We're all leaving. And he says, Yom Tov, come over here. Let me read you a little piece. And he reads me a little piece about humbling yourself before the Melech, before the king. And we sat there for about a half hour learning Hasidus on Rosh Hashanah and about the shofar and about waking up from the fact that you think you're the king of everything. But on Rosh Hashanah, you, you finally, that you're not the king. It was all about us thinking we're king and, and how hard it is for us to coronate God. That's why you notice when we, when we bow to God, like for example in... in um, in Elena uh, Lishabach, for example, when we bow, you'll notice most men cannot bow. You know, they'll go like this. They give a little token, like, <laughs> and they, they might as well curtsy. You know, they're like, they're, they're not really bowing. And you're supposed to go 90 degrees, meaning you're supposed to be flat out 90 degrees when you say, when you say, you're supposed to be at a 90 degree angle there. But men can't do that. And boy, well, could I not do that. And, and, Anyway, I finally realized what had happened, and I finally realized that I had, my prayers were answered from Sfat, that I got to see what it is to be, when you have false humility, as I wound up, I wound up licking the dust of Los Angeles. I was licking the, the dust of an alley in Los Angeles with a gun at my head, bowing before some illiterate monster. And at that point, also, I realized you've got to bow to... All of us are going to bow to something. You're going to be bowing to something. You're going to be sacrificing to something. Many people will be sacrificing to money. Many people will be sacrificing to all kinds of things. So you're, you're, going to, you're, going to, you're going to be bowing in this life. So you can bow to God. Or you're going to wind up bowing to people. Or you're going to wind up bowing to money. Or you're going to wind up bowing to something else. But we're here to bow. God, yes, he made human beings upright. We're the, only, we're the only animal in the world that's upright. But with that same uprightness, with proper core muscles, as we discussed yesterday, we're created to bow. And our whole life really is only about, will we surrender ourselves? Are we willing to surrender? And God's going to make all of us surrender. And if you don't surrender, you're still going to surrender because there's something called death where God will take away all of everything and we will all, not only will we bow, but we're just going to shrivel up into nothing and we're going to be, we're going to be worm food, you know, in one day. And, and so, and so that's humbling. 
and and to make God the king, but to be awesome, because you're awesome, and that's humility is to be awesome and and think about it. Let's say uh, David, David, if you're really awesome and you do the things that are awesome, it's going to be very humbling. It's going to be very humbling because it's, there's a lot of potential rejection and failure that will come your it's not just potential it will come your way if you if all of us accept upon ourselves how awesome we are created in the image of God and we start acting that way not everyone's going to love that there's going to be rejection and if you pursue the things that awesome people pursue there's going to be lots of failures you'll fail many times and that's very humbling and you want to know something, when you fail, when you get rejected and you fail over and over again, it's like mini deaths. It's ego death. Over and over again. Every time you fail and every time you get rejected, you get these mini deaths. And something's amazing about it because eventually you start breaking through. You start to really achieve. And what's very, and after a while, you're like really living the, the purpose you were created for. There's something amazing about this is that you'll notice there's a correlation between people who know what they're living for and no fear of death. And people who don't know what they're living for are scared of death. And the reason why people who don't know what they're living for are scared of death is because they're afraid to die before they figured it out. They don't want to die because they haven't... First of all, they haven't figured it out and they haven't done anything about it because if you didn't figure it out, you can't do anything about it. So So they're... Scared of dying. The interesting thing is people who do know what they're here for and are living it fully and they're living very much more fulfilled lives than people who don't know aren't afraid of death. They should be the most afraid of death because they're living the most fulfilled lives. So they could lose that in death. But yet you'll find the people who are living the most fulfilled lives are the least afraid of death. And I think one of the reasons is, David, is that They've already died many times. Through every rejection, through every failure, every humiliation, everything that happened to them by living awesome in a world that wasn't ready for them means you're going to hit a lot of walls. And each, one, each wall you hit is a mini death on your path to greatness. What does it mean? Like a practical sense? Um... Well, one thing would be uh, if you're living awesome, so then people who, who, people who you should be networking with, you would network with them. Whereas, I'm just giving one example, is networking. Like you're not gonna, you, you won't get anywhere without networking in your life. You've got to network. But so many of us refuse to speak to the right people because of our fear. Our fear, our fear that we're going to feel this big in front of them and they're, gonna, they're not going to be interested in us. And we're just, it wouldn't have been worth it even try to network with those people because they would never because it's, it's just going to be so painful when they say who, who are you man like who are you like you're, you're a nobody and so and so we never get traction because we're afraid to get the rejection by of networking with the people that we really need to be networking with to get our purpose fulfilled such so what purpose Oh, that's too specific. Because every one of us would, every one of us, based on our special purpose, is going to be networking with a totally different person, totally different people. What's that? Well, you first have to find your purpose. Once you know your purpose, the people come. You know who your people are. 
how do you find your purpose? That's not for this class right now, but the but the there's I speak a lot about it. You want me to play a little? Okay, I'll play a little. Whose guitar is it? Benji's. Benji. Is it a good guitar? Someone else had a question? I saw a hand up. Yo, this guy's Sharon. Can you mind filming him, Sharon? Don't get these girls, but just get him. Someone's sharing something private. Up and personally. Yeah, just take the camera. Leave the leave the stand. You're you have a nice steady hand. Let's see what we got here. Yeah, you were saying? Unfortunately, we all relate to that. Who's this lady with all these questions? <laughs> I, I love questions, but I, they usually don't all come from one person. Yeah. <laughs> or Samer, yeah. Yeah, they got their they got their message. Unfortunately, a lot of the messages that we're getting were too dense to see as our message. The way you do it is you speak to someone who's really good at interpreting me- interpreting messages. The people who interpret messages well. Everyone relax a little. Let's burn a little Lavona. The main ingredient for the Temple Mount was Lavona. You'll do the Lavona burning, please. Yeah, just press this every few minutes. Uh, you can go around the room, yeah, just press the blue. Go around the room, give everyone a little Livona hit. It'll go off and then you can press it again when it comes. Don't forget the people on the other side. It's going to spread around the room really. and bright. Can't be sensitive to this smell, it's psychological. So get over it. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> no, because it was the main ingredient that was wafting around Jerusalem, the main ingredient in the Katoris. What's the main ingredient? Lavona. No, but this is different. This is frankincense. Frankincense is like... By the way, there's smells that I can't deal with. And, and whenever I tell people, like, get that smell out of here, meaning healers with real natural smells, they always tell me, like, figure out what your association is. It's too much, uh huh? What would you do if it was temple times? You'd have, this whole city smelled like this. What happens to you when it. Are you kidding? Have you spoken to someone about this? Smells can't create migrants. So, uh, please God, you're not going to get a migraine. How do you guys like the Lavona? Pretty interesting, right? What? The Lavona? The Shook. Yeah, this little uh, two dollar AliExpress. Incense burning, can you? Like the Arab shuk? I don't think Lavona comes the in oil. Shuk or the Jewish shuk? It's sap. It's tree sap. Which shuk are we talking about? The Arab one or the Jewish one? Thank you. That's enough Lavona for now. That thing's gonna like catch on fire. I've never burned that much Lavona. No, no. Oh, it's oh, yeah. What's the thing called an Huh? What's it called? This little burner? Oh my gosh, it's boiling. Um <laughs> It's it's a it's a it's a cigarette lighter. That's a cigarette lighter. Two dollars cigarette lighter. It's amazing. Lavona. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Okay. Um. Here's a song for y'all. Wish the guitar is better tuned. Anyone have a tuner on their phone? You have a tuner on your phone? Yeah. Guitar tuna? Maybe this thing has a tuner. Any other questions, lady? Whose guitar is this? No, I got it already. I can just go with the green light. I don't have to get it. Perfect.
Whoa, what am I doing here? Oh, no, I'm good. No, you know, remember those other days I was starting the class really late? So it would have been like 4.30 right now. Because I, I, we have Sheva Brachas in Tel Aviv. And Chaim Levine's weddings tonight. Chaim and Tchiel Levine from Seattle. Old Ish Rabbi. Weddings are open in Israel. Really? Yeah, you know that? You can just show up. Yeah. All weddings are open in Israel. They have uh, those who are, got invitations sit at the tables f- for the meal, and those who crash, ha- there's a huge spread, a smorgasbord, yeah. a big bar for the crashers. <laughs> Every wedding is open. It's by Lakewood Law. Like. Now, secular weddings, I can't say the same thing for but the observant weddings are open. I didn't even send invites for my wedding. We had a lot of people there too. Whose phone's ringing? Is that that question asker? Okay, here we go. I have to remember the words somehow, so. So, this song I wrote walking up, I was going up the Kotel stairs and when I was first here, and I was sad about the destruction of the temple. And I, someone said to me, Why are you so sad? Oh my gosh, it was your son-in-law. That's so funny. We're talking about like like 28 years ago. I run in, your son-in-law was on his way to the hotel, your father. And he asked me, why am I so sad? And I said it was uh, the uh, temple's destruction was sad for me. And he says, don't get sad, get even. Like, do something about it. Like, do something about it. And I went back and I wrote this song. And I've been doing something about it since then. What do you do? What are you going to do to to speed? Sorry, i got to remember the words. Um, You know what I realized? This room probably doesn't smell much anymore, right? I don't know if your daughter wants to come back. Okay, we'll go. What do you do? What do you do? Oh my gosh, what a bad start. I haven't played this song in years. Here we go. I'm going to get it this time. Third time's the charm. What do you do? What are you going to do to speed the day it comes? What do you do? What are you going to do to speed the day it comes? Do you wake up with a greeting? Hello, hello. Do you thank him with a smile? Hello, hello. Do you go the extra mile? Hello, I'm calling you. Will you make it through the gates? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. 
comes. It comes. Be the day. Just be the day. It comes. Loud. Let's go. Just be the day. It comes. You can put your hands together. Let's go. Just be the day. It comes. So I was going to read you from the, I think, I, think, I don't know if you want to invite your mommy back in. I don't think there's any more smell of Ona. I think she looked like she was a little PO'd that I, like, smoked her out of the room. So it says like this uh, in the book of Zachariah. So why do we read this? Because our faith, <laughs> back to that, our faith was locked in with God at, at uh, Yom Kippur. And then God says, faith, well, okay, let's test your faith. How do you test faith? With? Trust. trust. How do you test faith? Trust. So, our faith was tested with trust. And what's the trust? You're now commanded to leave your home and move out into a thatched hut called a sukkah for a week straight. Stop trusting your home with your reinforced concrete and your lock on your door and your alarm system and your surveillance cameras and just move outside and trust. You know, CNN once had a report on television. It showed all these Hasidim with boards on the border of East Jerusalem. You know, there's the Kavisha Chad, is the, it's the border between East and West Jerusalem. East Jerusalem's the Arab, West Jerusalem's Jews. And on the border is where all these Breslovers live. And CNN showed them with these big boards, and it says on the news report, it says, here you can see Jewish, Orthodox Jewish men boarding up their homes. It was during the height of the Intifada. Like, things were crazy here. Buses blowing up everywhere. Like, people getting, you know, like, I mean, people were getting hurt in the streets. Like, it was crazy. Total unrest in 2002, I think. Anyway, so they said, uh, Orthodox Jews boarding up their homes on the border of East Jerusalem. You know what these guys were doing? They were building sukkahs. They were moving outdoors. Like literally in a stone's throw away from East Jerusalem. Building sukkot. And moving into those sukkot to eat, drink, sleep. No one's protecting while you sleep the night. God's protecting. And so we have to show the trust. And that's when we read this. Because when the... Days get when it gets rough out there, and it's going to get rough as you'll hear. When it gets rough out there, you're going to have to trust. You have to not make in your underwear. Okay, you got to actually keep cool and know what to do. You know, you have to follow the lines to the nearest exit. Behold, God's awaited day is coming, and your this is Zaharia chapter fourteen, 
Behold, God's awaited day is coming. It's called the awaited day. We've been all waiting for this day. And your spoils will be divided in your midst. I shall gather all the nations to Jerusalem to wage war. And this has everything to do with BDS and all that stuff. There's going to be this massive battle. I will gather all the nations, not some of the nations, all the nations to Jerusalem to wage war. The city will be conquered, the homes plundered, and the women violated. Half the city will go into exile. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then Hashem will go, then God Himself will go out and wage war against those nations as on the day He warred, the day of battle. I don't know what that's referring to. No note on that. Um, I'm sure it's in the bigger versions, meaning uh, where there's more commentaries. On that day, his feet, God's feet, capital H, God's feet, will stand astride the Mount of Olives. By the way, God doesn't have feet. So, I don't know what it means that his feet will stand astride the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and literally, like, right outside this window. Right outside this window, can you take this? That's why you never put a guitar strap on the neck. It belongs there. Which is a five-minute experience in a music store. And so the Mount of Olives, which is uh, right outside here, hey, Cindy Klein said, isn't it a ne- that negative prophecies do not have to come true? Um, yeah, that's true. But, uh, Anyway, that's all the Mount of Olives up there. You can see that's up top with those arches is the Intercontinental Hotel, which was built on great Jewish graves. The state of Israel let them do that. And it's, uh, there's actually, they used, some of the construction has tombstones, if you look carefully, that they, they use the actual uh, tombstones for that. So it says, uh, continuing on, sorry about this crazy production here. I'm not much of a video producer. So um, the answer is, by the way, that there's two options for there's two options for the end of days. It's either going to come through. It's either going to come through. It's all right. It's all right. It's, all right. it's either going to come from great light or it's going to come from uh, tribulation. I hope it comes through great light, but but it could also come from tribulation because things seem to be getting worse, not better. Um, anyway, what's that? Yetzer. Amen. On that day, his feet will stand astride the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east which I just showed you. And the Mount of Olives will split at its center, eastward and westward. So half the mountain's going to split this way, the other half's going to split that way, which is going to have a north-south valley right in the center of the mountain, making a huge ravine. Half the mountain will move northward and half the mountain southward, which is a little strange because... That's just hard to make sense of. We just had a huge ravine 
east-west, with the ravine going north-south. And then it says half the mountain's moving north and half the mountain's moving south, which I guess would mean that it's going to split again in the fours. And then there would just, I guess, be a big gap in the middle between the two. So it's no longer a ravine. It's now a big gap in the middle. And um, then you then you will flee. I guess the Jews are going to flee. I imagine that's the Jews. I don't have all the commentaries here right now. For the ravine will extend to Atzel, which is a place. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then Hashem, my God, will come with the, all the angels to your aid. And it will happen on that day that there will be neither clear light nor heavy darkness. This will go on for a whole day, understood only by Hashem. <laughs> neither day nor night, but toward evening it will be perceived as light. <laughs> it will be on that day that fresh water will flow from Jerusalem half to the eastern sea and half backward to the west, which is, the west would be the Mediterranean Sea, Dead Sea, Mediterranean Sea. In summer and winter, the flow will continue. Hashem will be king over all the world, and on that day, his name, Hashem will be one, and his name will be one. The entire area will be transformed to a plain, a flat plain. From the hill of Ramon, south of Jerusalem, the city will rise high to its original site. From the gate of Benjamin until the place of the first gate to the inner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the royal wine cellar. They will dwell within her and destruction shall be no more. Jerusalem shall dwell secure. This will be the plague which that with which Hashem will smite all nations that rallied against Jerusalem. Their flesh, listen to this, this is nuclear here. Listen to this, their flesh will rot while they stand erect. That's, that's probably nuclear. You think about that, like what would cause someone's flesh to rot while they're still standing there? Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongue will rot in their mouths. On that day, which means it's going to be a day, this isn't like a long period of rotting, because rot usually means time. So it's not a time thing. It's just more the thing that's going to take place. On that day, there will be a great confusion from Hashem upon them. And when someone will seek to grasp his comrade's hands, he will overpower his comrade's hand. Even Judah will be forced to attack Jerusalem. Whoa. <laughs> Judah means the Jews, meaning the tribe of Judah, which is like the current leadership. The Knesset, basically. Even Judah will be forced to attack Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered in a great abundance of gold, silver, and garments. Similar will be the plague against the horses, mules, camels, donkeys, and all the animals will be, that will be in those camps, like above, the above plague. Huh, so the same rotting will happen to all those animals. And it happened that all who will be left from among all the nations that came up against Jerusalem, they will ascend every year to prostrate themselves before the king, God, master of legions, and to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. Sukkot. And any of the families of the land that will not ascend to Jerusalem to prostrate themselves to the king, Hashem, master of legions, 
the rain will not fall upon them. They'll get anyone who doesn't come up will not get rain on their land. And if the family of Egypt will not ascend and will not come, and the lack of rain does not affect them because they have the Nile, it overflows from the you know the giant mountains of Africa overflow the Nile. Egypt doesn't need rain ever. You know that Egypt needs none of their own rain. The Nile gets filled from the other mountains. So it mentions them. It says, and if the Egyptians don't raise, and the lack of rain that doesn't affect them, they will suffer the plague with which Hashem will inflict the nations, because they will not have ascended to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. You realize, like Gentiles, like show me one, show me religions. You know what religions are? Those man-made things. Show me where they have non-practitioners of their tradition commanded to come as they are to bring their offerings. Here it says, I mean, this this is like serious business here for the nations to come bring their offerings. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that will not ascend to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. This is a good reason to have Gentiles in your sukkah. <laughs> I'm serious. There's more about Gentiles celebrating sukkah than Jews here. You realize? Like, put Gentiles in your sukkah. No, it's just showing you there's a, there's a strong... It's the nation's holiday, yeah. They brought, they brought 70 cows wow. to offer, representing the 70 nations. On that day, the bells of the horses will make a sanctification of Hashem. They will become cauldrons in the house of Hashem, as the numerous basins before the altar. Every cauldron in Jerusalem and Judah will be sanctified to Hashem, Master of Legions, and all who bring offerings will come and take from them to cook in them. And traitors will no longer be in the house of Hashem on that day. Traitors. No more trade. Traders like merchants. Yeah. So, just to give you, a, I'll read a little more. This is from Ezekiel. That was from Zachariah. A little more from Ezekiel because we read on Shabbat of Holomoid Sukkot. We also read from the about this stuff. It shall be on that day, on the day that Gog, Gog is a nation. We're not sure who they are exactly. That Gog comes on the soil of Israel. The words of the Lord Hashem Elohim. My raging anger shall flare up for my indignation. For in my indignation and in my blazing wrath I have spoken. I take an oath that on that day, meaning the day that Og comes upon the land of Israel, a great earthquake shall come to the soil of Israel. And there, sh- there shall quake before me the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, beasts of the field, all creeping things that move on the ground, and every human being on the face of the earth. Mountains shall be overthrown, cliffs shall topple, and every wall shall topple to the ground. Whoa, nasty earthquake. I will summon the sword against him who to all my mountains. The words of Lord Elohim. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. I will punish him with pestilence and blood, torrential rain, hailstones, and sulfurous fire. Upon him, this is Gog, upon him and his cohorts, and the many peoples that are with him, thus will I 
be exalted and sanctified, and I will become known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am Hashem. Basically, some like serious nations going to make war against Israel, and they're going to get it. Anyway, it's it's an amazing thing about these battles. The other king is called Magog. I will dispatch a fire against Magog and against those who dwell confidently in the islands. They're from islands, I guess. And they shall know that I'm Hashem. Is it? Uh, We started with Gog. It's a, then it mentions it's going to be a seven-year period, this whole thing. But, but I thought it was one day. You said like this whole thing's one day. It says, uh, basically it says Israel's going to get up and defend themselves and vanquish these enemies. I'll just read the last paragraph. On that day I shall assign to Gog a burial site there in Israel, the Valley of the Travelers. It's the Valley of the Travelers. See what it says in Hebrew. Uh, Gay Hamon. I don't know where that is. Anyway, um, the Valley of the Travelers, and there will there they will bury Gog and all his horde, and call it the Valley of Gog's horde. The family of Israel will bury them for seven months in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury, and it will cause them renown the day I manifest my glory, the words of Hashem. They will designate permanent officials passing through the land, burying it with passerby, those that remain on the open field in order to cleanse the land. After seven months, they are to seek out. As the passerby traverse the land and see a human bone, then they shall build a marker near it until the barriers bury it in the valley of Gog's horde. There shall also be a city called Hamona. Thus will they cleanse the land. Don't ask me. It, it, it sounds like, it sounds pretty gory. Hopefully none of that stuff has to Hopefully none of that stuff has to happen. And, uh, but, but definitely it sounds like hardball. So we've got to be prepared. And, and what I started this whole class with is if you live outside the land of Israel, um, you, that's, that's not going to be good. You, meaning you want to be here in the land of Israel for the, this period of time. And... It's also, uh, for those who believe that Mashiach had to come before the Jews came back to Israel, you know, like there's people who live in like Williamsburg or something like that, that <laughs> believe these things, the, that, you know, like the reason we're not going to Israel now is because, you know, it's a secular state and secular people brought all the Jews back and, and it wasn't messianic. So how do they explain this? Because this says the people of Israel are here before Mashiach. Before the advent of Mashiach, there's the Jews are here. You understand? Like, 
it's you can't get clearer than that that the Jews are going to be here before Mashiach comes. Well, how do you get the Jews here without Mashiach coming? And the answer is on the wings of eagles, which is what the prophet says, that the Jews will come back to Israel on the wings of eagles. Now, how are Jews going to fly on the wings of eagles? That doesn't make any sense. Because eagles are, all birds carry their young in their talons, including eagles. They carry their birds in the talons. Rashi actually says on the wings of eagles that eagles, because they're the king of the air, they can carry their... The reason they carry their talons is because they um, they got to protect from above from their birds getting attacked. Whereas eagles that are the kings of the air, they don't need to protect from anyone. So their, their chicks can line their wings. They don't actually do this. They, the reason birds carry their young in their talons is so they don't go flying off. You understand these are little... Birds fly themselves. They don't need their mothers. But if a bird has to move a non-flying bird, it uses its talons to fly it. You understand? Birds don't need their parents much, except at the beginning. So, But if you'll notice, next time you're in an airplane flying to the land of Israel, you'll notice you're in a, tu- a giant tube of, you know, filled with Jews, usually, and some other pilgrims. But if you look down, you'll see you're on the wings. You're, you're, the wings are down below you. And it says in the prophets that God will bring us home in the wings of eagles and which is very strange but think about it I mean if you've watched a bird soar in in, in the updrafts you know they don't even flap their wings they're just soaring like that that, that is the airplane the airplane was created off the bird like they, that is an airplane birds are the airplane is the modern day bird and when it says the Jews will come home on the wings of eagles it's literally on the wings of eagles, also, on the eagles, wings of giant birds. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, um, I'm not saying everyone has to move here tomorrow. I'm just saying that not to have a plan would be irresponsible. And you can update your plan, meaning you can, if you made a five-year plan that you're moving to Israel and you get to the fifth year, you can add five years. But because your family and you are talking about readiness and and like it's clear that we're moving back to the land of Israel and you have a deadline for that so which again it can be revised but but not to have that is just a shows a lack of faith in our prophets and a lack of trust and and so that's 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 what we got to do shalom everybody um Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Thursdays, we feed a family every Thursday. This rabbi goes and gets food for people. Please, uh, this class is how that family eats. So if you give anything that folds, it will create fish or meat. If it jingles, it buys Pringles and which or drinks. And the uh, please, please give to this family generously, and you'll enjoy Shabbos more, knowing that uh, that you help the family make Shabbos. Okay. Please click on everything and uh, subscribe if it's subscribe or share if you're on Facebook. And um, yeah, let's do it. And I'll obviously uh, join the media club. Um, please help support get the message out there. Show You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.